This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the gospel for today is a passage from that extraordinary sermon in parables that you can find in the 13th chapter of St. Matthew's gospel. I mentioned, I think, last week that we have the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, but in 13 we have another sermon where he lays out the teaching of the Lord in forms of parables. Jesus explains here the kingdom of God in these provocative and puzzling stories that seem to be his preferred manner of preaching. From these parables, we can still distill certain key laws of the spiritual life. All three parables in today's gospel emphasize the way that the kingdom of God, God's way of ordering things, coexists alongside of elements that are opposed to it. How the emergence of the kingdom is sometimes gradual and slow, often accompanied by struggle with things that are opposed to it. Now, I know a lot of religious people find this puzzling, hard to understand. After all, we're dealing with God, who can do, presumably, whatever he wants. Why doesn't God just get on with it and bring about the state of affairs that he desires? Why would the kingdom have to struggle against opposing forces? Well, let's look at each one of these little stories in turn and see what we can see. In the first parable, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed his field with good seed, only to find when the crop came up that an enemy had sown weeds amidst the wheat. His helpers suggest that the weeds be torn up, but the man says, no, no, you might tear up the wheat with them. So let them grow together, and we will separate them only at harvest time. Simple story drawn from Jesus' experience of um, farmers and rural life in Palestine. But it's a pictorial representation of a situation that we face all the time. Namely this, that the good is almost everywhere intertwined with evil. Good rarely exists simply in itself. And by the same token, evil rarely exists simply in itself. Rather, in society, in politics, in personal relationships, and in our own hearts. Good and evil are intermingled. Things are hardly ever, except in you know, comic books, things are hardly ever black and white, simply good guys and bad guys. Everything and everybody seems to be a mix of good and evil. So the question is, what do you do 
What do you do when you find the wheat is growing right alongside the weeds? Well, as in this story, the temptation is to say, hey, let's just isolate the evil. Let's just go after it. Deal with it. Get rid of it. But this can be a dangerous procedure. A bit like trying to extricate a tumor that's wrapped itself around a vital organ. I remember years ago talking to a surgeon who described just that kind of situation. A tumor, it was actually a lung tumor, that had wrapped itself around the heart. Well, he was describing to me how difficult it was to go after that tumor without compromising the heart. And here I think we come to the heart of it. God allows good and evil, often, to grow together. Because an aggressive going after evil can compromise the good. Here's something you'll find in Thomas Aquinas. He says that sometimes so tightly are these two interwoven that you couldn't have certain goods without certain evils. His example, I think I've shared with you before, there'd be no survival of the lion without the death of the antelope. If you were to say, well, let's just eliminate all violence from nature, eliminate this terrible killing, well, then you'd also eliminate the life of the lion. Thomas also says, there'd be no virtue of the martyr without the cruelty of the tyrant. It's a very interesting and and, uh, thought-provoking observation, isn't it? We admire martyrs. We see their great virtue, their great power. But there would be no martyr were it not for the cruelty of the tyrant. It's as though the two are just woven together. And if you went after the tyranny, well, you might eliminate the martyr. I know it seems odd to say it this way, but were it not for Hitler, there'd be no Edith Stein. Were it not for Hitler, there'd be no Maximilian Kolbe. Were it not for certain adversities, certain goods simply wouldn't arise. Now, now mind you, I'm not saying, therefore, leave Hitler alone. I'm just saying the parable calls to mind this kind of situation and reminds us of how this intertwining happens. Another example that comes to my mind here, Franklin Roosevelt's polio. I just watched a a really good PBS documentary on FDR. I've always been sort of fascinated by him. And it told the story very provocatively of his wrestling with polio. Here's this very vibrant young politician, his life and career stretching out before him. And then there came this devastating disease. Imagine someone just full of life, full of energy, full of mobility, and then just like that, he couldn't move. Well, FDR went into years of of profound depression. I mean, who wouldn't? But almost everybody agrees, almost all his biographers agree, that his polio caused compassion to be born in him caused a deepening of his heart and his spirit. 
caused, in many ways, the very things we most admire in him as a politician. What if, very early on, FDR said, Lord, just take this away from me. Just get rid of the polio. Just deal with it. Well, maybe the wheat would have come up as well. The kingdom of God is intertwined often with things opposed to it. But have the patience of God in dealing with it. Now, look at the second parable. Very familiar to us. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in a field. It, of course, eventually grew to be this great shrub. It seems to be a law of the spiritual life that God wants good things to start small and to grow over time. God wants even the best thing, His kingdom, to start small and to grow over time. Again, we're tempted to say, you're a God. Get on with it. Just do it. Why are we messing around with little mustard seeds and these long processes of growth? Why would God work this way? It's a common place of the Bible that God rejoices in our cooperation. Yes, God could do whatever he wants, sure, but God delights in involving us, our freedom, our intelligence, our creativity, what he's doing. And so he plants the seeds, but he invites us to cultivate them. Does that take time? Yep. Does that mean things begin small, then grow? Yep. God says to Francis of Assisi, Francis, rebuild my church. Well, heck, God is God. He could have rebuilt his church like that. But he wanted Francis involved. What started very small grew into the great Franciscan order. God could have renewed the spiritual life of Christianity through one great infusion of grace, but he inspired Anthony to leave everything behind and go to live in the desert. And from that little seed there grew only over many, many centuries all of the monastic tradition. There's more to it. When things start small, they can fly under the radar for a time while they gain strength and heft and seriousness. And while those involved can be tested and tried. That's a great spiritual principle all through the Bible. Suppose you want to do something great in the life of the church. You pray, and God gives you massively what you want, gives everything right away. Well, you might not be ready. The people working with you might not be ready. Rather, God likes to begin things small. While those involved deepen, strengthen, grow in grace. I think of the way the Word on Fire started. This ministry now, which has taken on all kinds of different dimensions, we started very, very small, very modestly. And I think a lot of us, myself very much included, were tested and tried over many years to see if this ministry really had what it took, whether it was in line with God's purposes. Of course, we're still always discerning that. But Word on Fire began small and has grown. Lastly, 
the parable of the yeast and the wheat flour. The yeast kneaded into the flour causes the bread to rise. Here again is a basic biblical principle. The enemy is best defeated by subterfuge and infiltration rather than by direct confrontation. Let me say it again. The enemy is best defeated by subterfuge and infiltration rather than by direct confrontation. Think of Moses and Joseph in Egypt. Think of Daniel and Esther in Babylon. Israelites behind enemy lines, learning the ways of the enemy culture in order to infiltrate it, to undermine it from within. The way you'd knead the yeast into the dough to make it rise. Why is this advantageous? Because God's purpose is not to destroy the enemy, but to change him. Not to destroy the enemy culture, but to convert it. Why doesn't God just eliminate his enemies, just get rid of them? Well, because God loves his enemies. And so the church's purpose is not so much to line up in direct battle so as to destroy its enemies. No, no. The church's role is quietly, gradually, and in love, to infiltrate so as to undermine and transform from within. So, three parables about the kingdom of God coexisting alongside things opposed to it. The kingdom of God starting small, the kingdom of God quietly infiltrating, the kingdom of God wrapped around evil. Three spiritual lessons we've drawn from this. Move slow. Trust in the Lord. Pray for the coming of the kingdom, even as it works its way in the midst of evil. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.